Look at my, look at my flappy arms. Look at just, I've got like 17 chins. You don't even want to know what my my boobs look like anymore. They're like half empty sandbags. (laughs) Oh, we're on. We're on. Oh yeah. Recording. A beep and a very fine, good beep to you today. (laughs) Us and our sandbag boobies. (laughs) Welcome to Mothers of Mayhem, an extreme horror podcast. Eric LaRocca is going to be here today and I'm dying. Okay, so you guys have to understand, this is Marion's Chandler Morrison and John Wayne Kamenali. It is. In one. So how dorky I look (laughs) during both of them, it's her fucking turn. (laughs) Oh, prepare yourselves. (laughs) It's going to be so awesome. I mean, Christina and I, we get hype and I think even a little nervous every time we go to jump every single time to a Zoom room with anybody, any of the authors we've been blessed to talk to this season. But I believe that we, as your hosts, and even you as our listeners, would be bald-faced liars if we did not admit that there's at least one author out there that creates art that just resonates with us as individuals in like a way deeper, more emotional or meaningful way. Yeah, without a doubt. We all have our person. (laughs) Like my new one is Ryan Harding. Like mm-hmm. he's like, I'm devouring his books as fast as I can, as fast as possible. I because still have night stalkers on my bedside table. I love Triana. I, just and I don't it. know I just a lot about Ryan Harding yet. And you're so excited about him that I'm like, oh, I need to get, I need to get through these other things so that I can get to this book. <laughs> and spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler, he'll be on season two. Yes, we're going to have, and that's another reason I need to start getting into them because I can't bear not being knowledgeable. Part of the cool kids. <laughs> part of the cool kids. Right? <laughs> so while we talk about horror a lot, obviously, extreme horror podcasts. Right. We, everything goes beyond that. Oh, so, so much further. You know, so some of my favorite non-horror, because we don't really talk about the non-horror side of our reading right. that often. Right. I mean, everyone but I knows. I think I'm it's a... all very related to why oh, we choose the people we choose within. Oh, without a doubt. Horror. Because there's certain elements of their writing that speak to horror. Yes. Um, Charles Bukowski. Um, everybody knows I'm a Bukowski fangirl. Can't help it. Don't care. Um, a lot of people call him a misogynist and I'm like, well, then you're reading it wrong. Um, cause he's really not, he, he, you just have to read him. Oh, that's and how then, I feel about Hubert Selby. Oh yeah. Hubert yeah. Selby Jr. Some people absolutely hate him, but there's something about him where I'm like, just be real. We're being real here. <laughs> Yeah, the world is talk about him because I will punch you in your (laughs) vagina and not in a good way. Um, Jean Paul Sartier, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right because it's either Sartre or Sartier. I don't know, it's French. I think it's so. You can correct me. But you're on the right track. Maybe Sartre, Sartre. I don't know. Something like that. Sounds French. But if you have ever read No Exit or No Exits, it's his play based in hell. 
And my favorite line is hell is other people. Oh yeah. A classic. Yeah. A classic. And you know, during this mercury retrograde, (laughs) I would just like to reinforce how very true that is. (laughs) Because I am feeling it. (laughs) And then my last one is um, A Little Life by Yana Yana Gahara. Yeah. Very difficult name. That I almost would say that's more of a horror book than most of our horror books that we talk about on here. I guess I I should have done that with horror. Well, I think you're absolutely right because I think people expect horror to have a little bit of that surrealism Mm -hmm. to it. But we've talked about this before, how the most terrifying, most disturbing, most horrifying books we've read are the ones that were based in reality. That's why John Athan kills me. That's why Living Dead Girl by Elizabeth Scott destroyed me. That's why Last Exit to Brooklyn Mm -hmm. by Selby is horrific. Requiem for a Dream. And then let's not forget Jose Saramago's Blindness. I read that one coming right out of the pandemic lockdown. And I was like, this was a terrible time to read this book. This I have that. I need horrible, to read it. Horrible time to read this book. And then what's fascinating about that is that the follow-up to that book is mm-hmm. all very politically based. So it is it is the second half of what happens from the political viewpoint following a national global pandemic trauma. It, Sarah Mago is a genius. Oh. Well, that just moved up my goddamn oh, PBR. Oh, when you read it, please tell me what you think. If I, oh my god, I wish I could send you my copy. I wish I could just like push it through one. the computer. To, oh, you have, have it, one. blindness? Yeah, I've had it for, oh, I've had that for a year, year and a half probably. I have to give mad props to Brandon Baker on TikTok for bringing that book up at one point in time. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And I read it and I was like, oh, that sounds fancy. Yet. Sounds fancy. But it's that real world horror and it terrifies me the most. Uh, oh, yeah. When a little life is no joke. Like, oh, and no. People call it trauma porn. And I'm like, do you not understand that bad shit happens a lot to one person sometimes? Like, their entire life just fucking sucks. Like, right. it's not trauma porn, dum dums. And you know, honestly, from a mental health perspective, what we've learned is that people who are traumatized early on tend to face greater and greater traumas in more and more greater and greater frequency throughout their Mm -hmm. lives. It almost becomes this pattern. And the universe has been traumatizing humans since we evolved the ability to have consciousness. It's just now, after millions of years, we're finally realizing how it actually affects us. Wait a second. <laughs> Damn it. What is happening there? You know, I think my first horror author actually was Jonathan Swift. Mm-hmm. Reading Jonathan A modest Swift, proposal. A modest proposal in high school. I mean, hello, tender is the flesh. Come on, let's just be honest. Right. But that was my first. Who doesn't want to eat their babies? Right. Well, that was my first introduction to satire. And the concept Mm -hmm. just sucked me right in. It stoked this fire of curiosity in my brain. It led me to Ambrose Beer. So he that he led me to Richard Connell. And then eventually I end up with Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut. (sighs) And he rocked my fucking brain. Like Breakfast of Champions was the first one I read. I was probably 14. It validated all of those quiet 
unsettled feelings I was mm-hmm. starting to have about society, the way it functioned. And then I moved on to Cat's Cradle, which inevitably just ended up being my, my favorite. So funny. So funny. And then later in life, I actually gravitated more towards an author named Sherry Reynolds. And I read The Rapture of Canaan. And this book might sound familiar to a lot of you. Maybe yes, maybe you know, but oh, it was part of Oprah's book club when she was doing that on her talk show. And that's kind of embarrassing, but please don't judge me. I was like 18. Um, but that book was a revelation for me in regards to- So what was it about? To, it's about a young woman named JL who grows up in a very closed religious community. And she ends up pregnant. Uh, and it was a manipulation. She ends up somewhat shunned, chastised. There's a lot that happens, but it's very much about religion, grooming, gaslighting, manipulations, gender roles, the culture of cults. And so would you say so... it's like a Handmaid's Tale, Scarlet Letter yeah. type of deal? far more far more realistic i would find then like this is stuff that you know is happening in closed communities all the time Mm. because the manipulations are so quiet and she's Mm -hmm. so young but there is there is a triumph in this story and the way that she connects with her child as a mother even at 18 it it just a lot and so then I was interested and I went and I found a couple of her other books. I found Bitterroot Landing, which is about a woman who is a survivor of intimate violence and uh, control, domination, domestic abuse, and a gracious plenty, which has some of those themes, but uh, is also very driven in grief and loss and has a supernatural element to it. All, I cannot recommend them strongly enough i think sherry reynolds has probably fallen off most people's radar but she, uh, these books i think to this day are are their quiet treasures cannot recommend enough i'll check her out you're a crazy poetry person who is your favorite poet uh bukowski bukowski bukowski, bukowski and then um if you guys have ever read oh my god and of course i'm gonna freaking blank on it Richard Corey by E.A. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Okay, so spoiler, if you don't want to know about it, don't listen to this part. Um, so Richard Corey is like this super cool guy and he like everybody loves him and he has like the greatest life. Everything's great, right? From the outsider's perspective. The last line of the poem and one sunny day, Richard Corey went home and put a bullet through his head. Why do I love that so much, Christina? Why, why, why do I love that so much? Right? And, you know, I love when people are like, poetry is boring. Okay, first off, no, it's not. Secondly, that one, check out The Vine by Robert Herrick. Um, oh he was a priest or a monk and he wrote a poem. Guess what the vine is, Marion? Is it a penis? It's his penis. Ah, so 
glad that I'm so in vibe with you. I knew mm. exactly what the fuck <laughs> It's just penis. So like, and I took a lot of poetry and classes in college. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it when we explore the sexual repression of, yes. of uh, religious orders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say one of my favorite modern day poets like in indie horror, I have two. Obviously, the professor. Oh well, yeah, come on, Mike and then Buck. Okay, Mike, Buck, and then Buck. Pick his stuff up immediately. Oh. He actually has one coming out in August, and I have it, and it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna fangirl. This is to Marion's date of fangirl. Oh no, today. girl! Every day is every day is our mutual day to fangirl. Every day is a day for Christina to look like a complete asshole. You know, I'm glad you brought up like your favorite modern poets because I very much because my own personal history and everything, my own personality journeys and stuff like that. Ooh, uh, uh, obsessed with Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton at one point. Um. You are a rabid note taker and annotator, but the only books in my collection that I have ever done anything even close to that are the ones by Sylvia and Anne. And those are basically like prompted journals for me. If you yeah. open those books, you'll be like, oh my God, Mary. Which one? Oh my God. She, all of them. She wrote Daddy, all right? of them. Is that the title of it? Daddy? Oh, I believe that might By be Plath. Anne Sexton. No, I think it's Plath. I think Plath wrote something called Daddy. Let me double check. Because I, I have I the massive collections sure. and I just buried myself in them. Um, but of course, that I have like a bell jar and mm. ones as well, like her journey through New York City and misogyny and uh, society's. Uh, standards regarding what a female should be and look like and diet culture and all that bullshit and that was the 1950s she did. yeah okay she daddy did. yeah daddy and lazy La- lady lazarus and, oh lady lazarus those, those are the two i was thinking about <laughs> i rise with my red hair and i eat men like air num num i love you sylvia right and you know who my modern day sylvia is oh. it's eric laraca quite honestly i don't know if any of you have probably those of you who are listening oh you have it i only have it on kindle (laughs) he is this man he is a modern confessionalist poet so if you have read fanged dandelion you know this man is coming at you the same way sylvia and ann did the same way dorothy parker would it is Dorothy Parker. Oh, you can lead a- I love my Dorothy Parker. Oh. Uh, he, 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 his, <laughs> I was like babbling to Christina. Like his, his, his prose is elegant and poetic and gorgeous and dreamlike. It's real and yet so surreal. And it just leads you down these paths where you, you're forced into these emotional spaces where you have to find your own interpretation (laughs) and you really have to work through your own stuff. And I think that's what makes his horror so impactful and so 
relatable and yet there's so it's like life it's horrible and it's horrific yet there's so much elegance and beauty there's even beauty and elegance in the trauma that we go through unfortunately yes well crisis always equals opportunity trauma equals opportunity for growth or decline so there is always so much available to us depending on which trajectory we take it in and his books are so much like that yeah and I want to back up just a second I'm not saying that like there's something beautiful in rape so don't anybody come for fucking me okay oh I don't want to hear it that's not what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about yeah oh yeah no no because somebody be like well Christina you said well it it's the core of the matter is that crisis equals an opportunity for growth or decline sometimes both at the same time oh without a doubt depending on what kind of support we have, depending on, you know, our journey and our process and our, our coping capabilities and what our baseline was and everything that has come before and what we expect to come ahead. It is very subjective. It is incredibly individual and it takes decades, if not a lifetime to work through some of it. Um, but he yep. will grow and decline through all of it in various ways. And his books really, pinpoint that and really Mm -hmm. highlight that and it gives you that validation yeah so LaRocca is one of the first people we've brought on here where I feel like we're kind of floating in this nebulous zone of horror but not horror Mm -hmm. (laughs) no you're 100% right because like um things have gotten worse since we last spoke is it borderlines because it is horrific parts because I was listening to the audiobook and oh my god whoever narrated that chef's kiss people but I get it I get it yeah you can see why what happens happens and the whole while you're going oh no no you're like please don't this isn't going oh this is going where I thought it was gonna go and you know it's happening because of pain Mm mm-hmm emotional pain and that's where the horror is it's not in any of the ick stuff that happens it's in the fact it's in that driving it's the, it's the part of that her iceberg that's under the water and it is a big fucking iceberg it is huge <laughs> and he's just uh, ah yeah. are, are, are you ready mm, for are eric Morocco, he is a prince he is a prince are you- you know what I'm actually really the most excited for I can't wait to see what he's wearing I know right (laughs) the absolute drip on this guy when I say a prince he is a fucking prince he is a prince I'm like I am never going to I am never going to be like one one hundredths that cool ever Christina are you ready he's the actual Archelian galaxy that Orion the cat carried in his collar in the classic 1997 film Men in Black starring Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones which was based on an actual real true story and Eric LaRocca was the heart of the universe in Orion's collar (laughs) why don't you go ahead and bring him in I'm I'm not doing this today I'm not doing it first of all how dare you? I'm feeling mm. like you're questioning my knowledge of the history of Never. the galaxies that exist therein. 
Never. But secondly, I, never I am not going to say that I don't want to talk to Eric the Rocka. So, okay, <laughs> we can do it. But first I have to anxiety pee. So hold on. Me too. Second. We'll be back. Woo-hoo! <gasps> we have with us in the Zoom room, my very own modern day Sylvia Plath. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Eric LaRocca. <laughs> None. None whatsoever. Wow. I love that. I absolutely adore that. Thank oh you. Oh my God. You will go back and listen to the intro of this show and you'll be like, this woman is a nut. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I love all the love. It means a lot. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for doing this. We know we're just tiny and small. So we really appreciate you taking the time to spend the afternoon with us. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Let the listeners know about you, uh, stuff that you may have uh, out now, stuff that you might have coming up that they could be interested in. Yeah. So um, I'm Eric LaRocca. I uh, am the author of Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. Uh, which came out through Weird Punk Books last June. Um, It's now out of print, but it's being re-released through Titan Books in September of this year um, called Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke and Other Misfortunes. So it's like a collection of, you know, containing the original novella and then uh, two other short stories that have never been published before. Um, So that's coming out. Uh, I also independently released a book just as like a treat for uh, all the people who have been just so wonderful supporting me called You've Lost a Lot of Blood, which was in uh, March. Oh, nice. You have a copy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, that. you both do. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my God, you've got all of them. <laughs> Dude, she was, it's not stalking, it's supporting. I love it. (laughs) I love it. That's so cool. Um, Yeah, so You've Lost a Lot of Blood is available now, and 50% of the proceeds from that go to Trans Lifeline. Um, So that's, you know, something very near and dear to my heart. Um, And then in June, I have We Can Never Leave This Place coming out through Journal Stone, which is like a short novella. So my God. She will be talking your ear off about that one. So we're going to kind of hit that one towards the end of this first gauntlet of questions, because (laughs) this book, I already said in the review that I did several months ago, this book is a masterpiece. To me, this book is a masterpiece, and there's a million reasons why, but I am so excited for other people to get a chance to read this, because this is, this is a journey. And it is gorgeous and horrific. And I, have, I haven't read anything like it. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. You are thank so, you. well, you're so, uh, thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I should have like a fangirl meter. <laughs> I know, I'm here. sorry, I'm sorry. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll get a little bit more into, we're going to break some of that down here as we go through y'all. So if you don't mind, I don't want to take up all of your time today. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick it off if you're cool with that. Fine. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. So like I already said, I kind of identified you as my modern day Sylvia. I love her. I love Anne Sexton. I love Dorothy Parker. Confessional poetry is my jam. And is it okay if I read something from your introduction 
to this gorgeous thing. Oh yeah. Thank Thanks Dandelion. Dandelion. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I had never been afraid of myself before. I lived in a permanently nervous state for much of my childhood. I thought I had imagined practically every horrible scenario of what could happen to me and my loved ones. Imagine my surprise at the age of 26 when I considered myself to be the cause of catastrophe. Imagine the depth of my horror when I contemplated how easy it would be to swerve into oncoming traffic or to plow over an unsuspecting herd of pedestrians. I had been afraid of everything and anything, but I had never imagined myself to be capable of doing something truly horrible. It was perhaps the most frightening moment of my life, wondering if I really knew myself. Super, and thanks for the 100% all-consuming relatable feels, friend. (laughs) (laughs) I read through that introduction and I was like, it was like I had an arrow shot through my chest I I I I just it resonated with me so deeply and as you continue through that introduction you explain that the creation of this collection was truly an act of therapeutic catharsis for you Mm -hmm. and would you be willing to speak more on that concept and how you within your work confront the frailty of the human psyche. Yeah, it's so weird hearing those words like back to me, even though like I wrote them, you know, it's just like very, it's, it's, you know, it's so amazing to hear that you've, re- that it resonated with you. Um, they make me cry. <laughs> yeah, no, it because makes it's me so relatable. Yeah, yeah, it makes me emotional too, because like when I wrote, Fang Dandelion, you know, I was coming out of just like a really bad era of my life. It was just really bad. And, you know, um, like not to get like too personal, but like I had to go to like the ER, like, you know, for how, how upset I was like realizing this, that like, maybe I am capable of doing something horrible. You know what I mean? And it just like really scared me. And I, you know, finally sought help and thank God I did. Um, You know, I eventually went to see like a therapist and we started doing like really great work together and, um, you know, was prescribed like specific medication that really, really helped me and um, medication that like I'm still on that really, you know, you need to, You know, and that's kind of like, I feel like that's such a stigma too. Like with people who are on medication, it's like, well, why, you know, there's like judgment, but Mm -hmm. you know, when I was talking to, um, my, one of my, my therapists about it, he was like, you know, when a tree regrows, like one of its limbs, like you need to support it, you know, like it needs to be supported in such a way that it can grow correctly. And that's like the same thing with like the human mind, you know, you know, you, you have to nurture it and really be kind to yourself and um, just do all the things that you can to make yourself um, as healthy as possible. You know, mental health is just very, very important to me. Um, And I think 
I think that's why I explore so much of it in my work because it's something that I know really deeply. That's something like I feel and I know how to write those characters. Like I know how to write people who are troubled, people who feel like they're on the outside looking in, people who feel like they're just, you know, totally, they're just, they, they feel like, you know, they are the cause of their own destruction and their own, you know, difficulty in navigating the world. Like I identify with that. And I just, I hope that people, I hope that readers resonate with those stories. I don't try to like do it in a shocking, sensational way. I I hope I don't, because I'm really just trying to, I'm really just trying to put, like, put a voice to people who are struggling with mental health problems. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to really sensationalize anything, because these thoughts are very real. Like, when you're experiencing them, they're very, very real, and they're terrifying. Oh, Um, yes. Yes, so yes. <laughs> I think, I think that's why I, you know, write so much about it in my work with um, just mental health in general. Like I have a story in my collection, The Strange Thing We Become called Bodies Are for Burning, which is very much like, <laughs> you know, in that, that realm of what am, what am I capable of hurting someone? And like, am I capable of doing something really awful to some, something else? You know what I mean? Um, and that story was very difficult to write, but it was also like very effortless to write because it's just something that I know in innately, you know what I mean? Um, so I try to, I, I definitely try to be like tender and, um, thoughtful when I put these stories out there and um I just I hope readers connect with them essentially so uh yes I will validate that readers absolutely do connect with them (laughs) I have been a mental health professional 14 years and I was pulled to the field because of my own challenges that I've experienced and grown through we continue to still grow and change and evolve but I would say that you and um, author Matthew Cash, goes by Maddie Bob Cash, are currently my two absolute favorites when it comes to addressing the true horror of mental health challenges okay. without being provocative or uh, overly stereotypical. Yeah, you guys, you guys both have this way of presenting it with an elegant vulnerability that really takes people in a very relatable space. And I think those of us who both work in the mental health community, as well as use the community for support, really find that to be very comforting. It's a very safe. And the funny thing is you guys write horror Mm -hmm. and yet it creates an incredibly safe space. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that because that's what I like I yearn for that and I love that, you know, I want it to be a safe space. I've had some people say that like, um, you know, I probably shouldn't look at reviews, but I do look at reviews sometimes. How are you not gonna? Yeah. I think every Um, author is like, you know, some, some people say that like the stuff is like very bleak and very dark and just, you know, not, it's, it's almost like too much for them, but I, I respect that. And I understand that. 
Um, but like, it's reality for a lot of people, you know? We like, were just talking about that. Christine and I were just saying that like, oh, it's bleak and it's dark and it's horrible. Um, have you met life? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is like, when I was going through, when I was going through like the really bad, like my really bad, like depressive, uh, like, you know, anxiety era, like, I, I don't know what else to call it. Cause that's what it felt like. It felt like just this mm-hmm. period of time that I was just not really me. Um, when I was going through that, I, the whole world around me, like changed, you know, the whole, like everything became really terrifying and everything became like really frightening. And that's just, I mean, I understand that entertainment is supposed to whisk us away and, you know, carry us to other lands for adventure and fun. But I, I prefer narratives that kind of reconcile that, those really grotesque feelings inside to make me feel like I'm not as much of a monster as I think I am. Right. (laughs) Show me, show me the beauty in the pain that I'm experiencing or the pain that I have seen others experience show this to me in a way that is the reality of the horror that it is while still that dreamlike elegance that it actually has while you're going through it right make me feel not alone and you and Maddie Bob yeah exactly make me feel not, not so isolated yeah and I think that's the thing with horror that I really respond to is like watching it and reading it I don't feel isolated anymore with my thoughts and I I feel like connected to a lot of people now um <laughs> and even just writing it like it's so cathartic to write it um and it, you it's know, cathartic and it, to read it too <laughs> yeah it's so cathartic <laughs> to read it and just kind of realize that you're not alone and that these thoughts and these um you know the horrible things do happen in life and it's okay that's just the that's just that's just life you know yep. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Christina, you want to hit him with the next one? I will. Since we're kind of talking about things have gotten worse since we last spoke and things like that and reviews, um, both Marion and I loved it. I actually um, was at the commissary, which is on base. It's like an on base grocery store. And I was listening to it while I was shopping and I would like, oh like <laughs> gas. <'cause I> read- <laughs> but I wanted to hear the audio and so I was like oh. and I was like <laughs> and like people were looking at me I was like you do not want to know you don't want to know trust me <laughs> <laughs> tape worms <laughs> <laughs> they asked me what I'm listening to the bible on audiobook <laughs> <laughs> and while this book has been celebrated by critics and fans it does tend to generate very polarizing strong opinions Um, You've probably seen them. Um, One of the biggest issues is that some people tend to think that the relationship between Zoe and Agnes falls into madness and obsession too quickly. Mm. But Marion and I (laughs) both have our own reasons for feeling this pacing is justified. But how do you, what, sorry. I'm looking at this. How, <laughs> how do you like to speak to the particular concern that's addressed by certain readers? 
with the pacing being too fast. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear that. Um, and I've, I've seen like a lot of the negative reviews for not just that, but I mean, there are people that just hate the book for other reasons, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but as far as the pacing goes, I mean, I'm coming at it probably from just a, a certain angle from being born in like, you know, the early nineties and mm-hmm. growing up like in chat rooms on uh when social media like social media didn't really exist like it was just basically like the computer like internet was just very new growing up mm-hmm. and kind Did you of icq miraculous icq oh no what's that it was a chat it was a chat thing that we would use and that's really what it was like you would chat with random people and build these relationships with them in one night and then all of a sudden they were your best friends yeah that's the thing I feel like I come from uh, a uh you know time when relationships kind of did develop very quickly on social I shouldn't say social media like you know, just over the internet in general, you know, uh, chatting on AIM and mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the other, um, you know, all the other uh, chatting software, like, you know, you just, you would log on and just see who was there and who you could chat with. And you kind of just like, that's kind of how I came into like my sexuality and just kind of discovered that I prefer men and you know that's just the way it was and um I definitely had conversations that went like very very quickly and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the people who have that concern with the book I don't think I don't think they're maybe like from the same they're coming at it from the same perspective that like people who were in the early early chat rooms I don't think I think they're kind of younger you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so I think maybe that's where it's coming from I could be totally wrong but I just I've had so many friends and so many um yeah just so many friends that have had relationships develop very very quickly online and um like when we were younger and um yeah well, me too <laughs> me and my husband <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it's just I feel like I don't mean we're the queer community is obviously not like a monolith like everyone is we're all very different we shouldn't right. ever lump everybody into the same experience but um I think it's a very I'll say this I think it's a very human connection a human desire to want to connect with another person and I feel like based on the character Agnes's mental state mm-hmm. kind of you know we don't things have gotten worse is difficult to read in a lot of ways because it's not traditional prose we're only given mm-hmm. what the editor of the book wants you to receive so like you know, you're only getting these chat rooms, you're only getting these like posts online, but you're not really seeing the bigger picture. And I feel like you might have to like read through the lines and kind of pick up on the subtext of what's really going on. And I think, I think some people, when it comes to reading, I don't, I think some people like are a little lazy, you know, like. How many times I've said that? 
Yeah, Christina's right there with you, pal. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think I don't think they clue into like subtext or they don't really pay attention as much as they should. And I'm guilty of that too. Like I'll Mm -hmm. I'll skim sometimes, and like I'm and I'm like, oh, am I really reading this? Like maybe I'm not. And then I'll go back and reread it. Mm -hmm. Like oh, I missed that. You know what I mean? So I think the reason why there is that kind of upset with the way that the relationship progresses I think it's a bunch of different factors at play but I think it's it's primarily I think it's primarily just the fact that some of the readers like don't they don't understand really how queer relationships developed back in like the early 2000s because social media just wasn't a thing right right I've I've tried to I've tried to come in on several platforms like TikTok or Instagram where I, when I see this particular concept communicated and it's hard because, you know, on TikTok and IG, you only get so many characters (laughs) to use. And when you're going to come in and start talking about this stuff, it's hard, but I, I just want people to think about the fact like have when somebody feels so isolated and they have this hole inside of them, that feels so empty and all of a sudden there's this shining bright light of a person right in front of you how easy is it for us to just grab that person and shove that round peg into that square space yeah or that square peg into that round hole because we are desperate Mm-hmm. for that connection we are desperate for that love we mm-hmm. are desperate to not feel alone anymore and especially in the time of the mid to late 90s when all of a sudden the whole world had been opened to us we could meet anyone from anywhere maybe never in real life but still these were other human beings that we were able to fill our voids with mm-hmm. and i think you're very right that if you weren't some of it i think still prevails but especially at that point in time and in the 90s with the queer community, you're absolutely right. It was not an easy thing to talk about. You guys were not, you are not getting, yeah, not getting the support, the social support and that you needed. Mm -hmm. And so you were all leaning into each other. And if you had an emptiness that needs to be filled, you were feeling it, filling it with one another. Yeah. So I found that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it gets me every time. I think yeah. And I just think, have to really focus on that different perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they're just to kind of negate it and just be like, oh, well, it develops too quickly. I think a lot of readers are doing themselves a disservice because mm-hmm. the book speaks to a lot of themes and issues just in the queer community in general, like these sort of, uh, power dynamics at play between two women or two men and how easy it is to kind of lose yourself and your identity just in another person you know and that's not even that's not even just a queer issue that's just that's universal yeah you know 100 yeah so interestingly enough in Fanged Dandelion, I know that there was another piece of work that came very quickly and then went away. I'm going to ask you about that later. Mm. But <laughs> in Fanged Dandelion, you wrote a poem focused on self-loathing and self-injury, and it's called Things Can't Get Much Worse. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Is there any correlation between that one and your now what has pretty much because, because it, it totally went viral on TikTok? Yeah. So this is now your iconic novel, novella. I love things that. have gotten worse <laughs> since we last spoke. Like when people think Eric LaRocca, mm-hmm. they think things have gotten worse. So is there any connect? Was there a genesis in that poem that may have eventually led to the creation between things can't get much worse and oh actually things have gotten way worse (laughs) let me tell you the story or am i totally off base and just being way too hard and seeing easter eggs that don't exist because no one nobody (laughs) Nobody, it's so funny that you say that because like nobody has picked that up who has like red (laughs) but i was like i was like outlining things have gotten worse since we last spoke while I was writing Bang Dandelion. So I was like writing my poems, obviously, you know, I would write like one a day probably throughout this like period of time. But I was also like outlining what would eventually become things have gotten worse since we last spoke. And I remember, you know, coming to that poem and writing that title And I was like, that would be like a great title for something. And, you know, I was kind of developing this idea, you know, of these two women who meet like in a chat room and um, the initial like rough concept was in my mind, like one of them is responsible for the other's death, even though they've never met before. And that was like the hook for me, you know? Um, But yeah, there's definitely like a correlation between thing dandelion and things have gotten worse in that that the themes that I explore in thing dandelion are also kind of present in things have gotten worse because it's about like a toxic relationship and um just like the things that we do to one another that are horrible and then the things that we do inside our mind you know because in that poem the the speaker is basically talking about how mom and dad are in the house doing daily things. And then he fantasizes about dad cutting himself while preparing vegetables. And then all of a sudden his brain is like focused on hurting himself. So Mm -hmm. he um, had this fantasy about dad hurting himself, which then triggered him to want to hurt himself and how those two things are dad's cutting of the vegetables was the trigger that led this person to want to hurt themselves. And it's very similar to that relationship between Zoe and Agnes, where she's like, you love me. I will kill myself for you. Like I'll do anything for you simply because you your presence planted Mm. it in my brain I just thought that was very interesting. Thank you for validating me. I'm not as nutty as I thought I was. <laughs> you just you just did a Christina. Yes! You just did a Christina. <laughs> and in your honor, I'm gonna tab that shit, Christina. Tab it, bitch. Tab it. I make the queen of tabs. He's a tabber and an annotator, and I am not, but I love it. This time I'm a dork. <laughs> I'm a dork. Hey, $55,000 in student loans have to do something. Oh my God, student loans. (laughs) That's a horror story. Right? That's just, that's 
like everyone's got PTSD from signing yeah. those loans. Yeah. Things, things have definitely gotten worse since I last talked to Sally. And Eddie. Right? Let me tell right. <laughs> All right, girl, hit it. My turn. Me. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. So we have, that's why you see me look over is because we have questions and I'm oh, reading yeah, them. And if you see me looking this way, I take notes the whole time. So, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Told you. Dork. <laughs> Welcome to so, Nerd Town. Oh, population <laughs> two. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome. Now it's three. Yeah, now it's three. <laughs> it's a very small group. We're a little like commune. <laughs> Let the cult commence. <laughs> right. And I'm like the worst person. I will just. <laughs> I'm like a cult baller. Well, like even my brother's like, you would so be sucked into a cult so easy. <laughs> and I'm like, I am gullible. <laughs> what can I say? So getting back on track, can we talk about these covers? Oh my God, dude. Can we just talk about the covers? I know. They're so beautiful. <laughs> um, the work of artist Kim Jacobson, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Jacobson? has become a part of what makes La Rocca book stands out as a La Rocca book. And it's often noted as one of the driving factors that acts as a major decis- decisive factor that convinces them they have to have your book. Not going to lie. I saw this cover, saw it was you, boom, 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 into the cart it went. Yeah, I, I can it. get this on Kindle, but why would I not want to have it? Like people on TikTok constantly were like, that cover, that cover, that cover. Right. And it drove so many people I know. to buy the freaking book. Yeah. yeah. Like genius move, my dude. <laughs> it really was. How did you find Kim? And what about their artwork felt right to you? That's a great question. So when I was working with Sam at Weird Punk, um, basically we were like, pitching ideas back and forth of what we wanted the cover art to be like for things have gotten worse. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I need this to be iconic. Like, you know, the title to me, like was so just, I loved the title. I loved, I loved the book. I still love the book. And I really wanted it to be something like very, very special. So we kind of went back and forth with like a few different designers um, that work a lot with like indie horror fiction and unfortunately none of them could work on the project with us um but it actually worked out a lot better um you know so I Sam just told me one day he was like why don't you go on Instagram and just look for like really you know gruesome grotesque paintings and like artwork you know and uh I just I started scrolling on Instagram one day and I came across the work of Kim Jacobson and I was immediately just so mesmerized by their use of color and just how like in your face gruesome and gory <laughs> some of those paintings were and I finally came across one that's called Passing Oxygen which is the cover of things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Oh my. And I just locked eyes with it. And I was just like, that's the one, like, I know that's the cover of this book. And I sent it to Sam and Sam was like, absolutely. Like that is definitely the cover art for us. 
Um, I think it was like the most he had ever spent on any cover for a weird punk book um, to like license. Paid off in the end. Oh, right. Definitely paid (laughs) off in the end. (laughs) I think think that was a good choice. (laughs) Yeah, no, it really was. It was a great choice. But Kim has been just like such a delight to work with. And um, I knew that I wanted when I independently released um, You've Lost a Lot of Blood this year. I was like, I know I want Kim to do to to license one of Kim's paintings for the, the new cover art. And um, yeah, just, it's just been so great to see how like responsive people have been just based on Kim's artwork, you know? Um, Like, I feel like Kim and I are kind of now like forever, like intertwined with our our careers, you know? Um, Which is great because I absolutely adore their work and you know, Kim is just such a sweetheart. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it came to be. And then, so We Can Never Leave This Place is actually a different artist. I wonder, um, it, it's like a Blay, 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 Blay. Yeah. Um, and Blay is from Greece. And, um, you know, another just really class act, just a really great person. And um, I came across that painting on uh, Instagram as well. And, um, you know, shout out to Instagram. Seriously. Right? Like, Word. like, dang. Yeah. Word. And I feel like, you know, I, with things have gotten worse, I was like, oh, like I've really set the bar now for myself. Like I really need yeah. to like, I really need to do something just as cool. Hopefully maybe a little cooler. Um, and I came across Blaze artwork and, um, I showed it to, uh, my editor at Journalstone and she was like, oh my God, absolutely. And, um, so it's kind of like my aesthetic now, just like these really gorgeous paintings that are super disturbing as like cover art, you know? Well, see with things have gotten worse to me, the pet, cause I love paintings. The cover tells so much about the story because she's faceless which online you're faceless yes. and then she looks like she's floating like part of her is floating away so she's losing a part of herself mm-hmm. so like little things like that along with this I'm like that's fucking perfection like yeah. I I would have thought honestly that you commissioned it after you wrote the book is yeah. how I felt because I was like man this is like way too perfect so when you were telling me that I'm like holy crap talk about the stars lining up you know oh. what I mean and then oh, when you awesome. highlight the fact that the book is called, or the painting is called Passing Oxygen. Oh, that yeah. just, as a nerd. It's I'm almost like, like it was perfect. meant to be because that's essentially what they're doing is they're mm-hmm. passing a certain kind of life force to mm-hmm. one another as devastating as it may be. That is the mm-hmm. kind of impact they have on each other. Oh, totally. That just takes it to a whole nother freaking level. Right. I'm curious to know, do you remember off the top of your head what the name of this painting is? Because of all of the yes, covers, I do. This yeah. one fits this book like Yeah. Wow. You're, you're gonna laugh when you hear the, the title of the painting because it really captures like the spirit of the novella um the title of the painting is called fever oh my god stop 
Isn't that perfect? <laughs> it, it really, it's like providence for all of these. Like yeah. they're truly meant to be. You can't. It's crazy. The correlation's too beautiful. Yeah. How no. lucky. I know. I've been, <laughs> I've been very, very lucky. I've been very lucky. And actually, um, so I'm working with Clash Books for my like debut horror novel that's coming mm-hmm. out in 2023 Mm -hmm. and they we were just like going back and forth about cover art and I kept in like I kept telling them like this cover needs to be like the best possible cover we can we can we can do and they were like well it seems like your paintings as covers like do really really well which is true like the cover art for things have gotten worse has done did phenomenal the cover mm-hmm. art for you've lost a lot of blood has been amazing um so i came across this other artist on instagram and we licensed one of their paintings and it's going to be the cover art for my debut novel everything the darkness eats and I'm just i like, can't wait <laughs> i'm so excited i'm so so excited this painting is like so grotesque and just so it's so disturbing and it's just like perfect for the book oh my god i can't freaking wait maraca (laughs) (laughs) she's a little bit we're gonna see her like don't get in line at barnes and noble yeah (laughs) but at the same time i think the more this conversation has been progressing i think you're picking up on why i feel the way i feel about Mm -hmm. your work, you know, both from a personal level, but also from my career standpoint, Mm -hmm. mental health is very important to you. Mental health is everything to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, what you do resonates deeply. And I just really appreciate the way all of those pieces go together. So that I think is why I'm such a freaking fangirl about this. Cause I think it's important. (laughs) <laughs> it is it's totally it's important super important yeah. especially you're one of the ones out here doing it right and beautifully so it makes it it makes a difference <laughs> especially to highlight and to put the spotlight on mental health because you know like Marion spoke to I deal with mental health I'm bipolar so I don't know what the FedEx I'm going to be in the morning when I wake up am I going to be happy or am I going to be like I'm not leaving the bed today you know what I mean yeah and so my children both deal with mental illness at five and eight. And so having books like this, well, I can hear one of them screaming. I don't know. She's probably trying to kill her dad. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Captain mood disorder down there. Um, it, It makes me feel good that I can, you know, obviously I'm not going to read those to my children just yet, but they can have access to them when they get older. And I want them, like we've spoken to, not to feel alone. Like I can have these thoughts. I can feel this way and it's okay. And so I, for me, one, you have a lot of symbolism and metaphors and things like that, which again, freaking nerd over here <laughs> right like let me get <laughs> let me get the tabs and the highlight <laughs> and then it speaks to mental illness in a way that's not stereotypical and not your you know sometimes writers can get lazy with it 
and just be like, well, this is what everyone sees. Well, no, it's not. Yeah. So, and that's, so she's from like the healthcare. I'm from the nerd and the crazy people part. Yeah, we were so talking. Very different. <laughs> oh yeah, we were talking even before we started recording it all. And <laughs> we were reflecting together on how, um, you know, sometimes when we look at mental health in horror, we have a tendency to focus, if we're going to look at it from the iceberg model standpoint mm-hmm. uh, or point of view, we the story will focus on the behaviors we see above the water, the, the jagged, the rough, the stuff that's very blatant and objective, whereas you present those things and then you're like, okay, so that's there. Now we're going under the water. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the feelings, the triggers, the wants, the unmet needs. We're looking at the trauma. We're looking at all of the driving forces mm-hmm. that are actually fueling these jagged behaviors that you're seeing above the water. Right. And that I think is where it really gains its impact. Mm-hmm. Totally. For a lot of your readers, because this isn't yeah. just about me having mental health issues and looking, looking unstable or looking dysregulated or being dysregulated. This is about what's really going on <laughs> underneath what you're seeing on my surface. Right. And that's a different perspective. We don't see a lot in horror. And I think that's why we both really appreciated it as much as we do you and Maddie, Bob cash and Paula Ash. She's coming up right. She's coming up right behind you, buddy. I told her I was like, "You're next on my list, girl. I'm gonna run you through the gauntlet next time." She's amazing. She's so good. She sent me her book, and the first thing I said to her, I was like, "You're my next Laraka." (laughs) I was like, "I got him, and now I got you." (laughs) The two of you collecting me. You're destroying me. Yeah, no. her book, We Are Here to Hurt Each Other, was just like, oh my God, get out. Just so good. Yeah, so I, good. I, I sent it to Christine. I was like, read it. Well, no, she sent it to me. And I was like, I said to her, please send this to Christina. And she sent it to Christina. And I was like, you have to read it now. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's came how back she to was. Me and she was like, <laughs> and that's how she was with, um, we can, we can never, never leave, leave this place. place. Oh, yeah. And, and I had been putting it off because I was like, I want to read it closer to time when you were going to be on. And then I read it yesterday. And I was like, I'm a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> I should have read this months ago and stopped being such a spaz. <laughs> I, so yeah, I really, have no expiration date, right? Like books, that's the great thing about books. And, and really that's is. one that I, I really want to talk about. I Let's chat. want to Let's briefly talk about the strange things we become mm-hmm. and other dark tales, because this was absolutely one of my favorite single author collections from Thank last you. year. And so it was a very funny contrast. It was you and Nicholas Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> with caution may cause ocular bleeding and these mm-hmm. two collections are so vastly different but you killed me at the beginning of this interview because and Christina can verify this it is on my questions I literally say bodies are for burning that story hit me so hard <laughs> yeah. it's literally 
right here in my question. You make me too goddamn emotional, the rock. How <laughs> very there. If y'all have not picked up this collection, is this is out of print now, right? Yeah. So that's out of, yeah, it's out of print, but it's coming back through Titan. Oh, thank um, God. In I think March seventh, um, two thousand twenty-three. Dang. I read it and I'll immediately wait. sent a message to my sister. Because she also read things have gotten worse at the same time as I did. And I said, have right. you read the strange thing we become? And she was like, not yet. I was like, you ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> and she did. And she came back to me. She was like, holy. <laughs> this is a freaking dreamscape. Thank you. I'm really proud of that book. And it's, I hope so. It's kind of a little, um. It's, it was a little disappointing to me when it was released because it kind of like flew under the radar. Well, with you like had this one. I know. Oh. Yeah. And I just like, for everybody that didn't like things have gotten worse, I was like, oh, please try the short story mm-hmm. collection because they're very different. Yeah. And it really shows my like, like I can write prose, you know? Um, but it just like flew under the radar. And then uh, with Off Limits, they had some like changes in uh, their editorial staff. And I was able to get the rights back to the book. And okay. my, my agent like shopped it to Titan Books. And they were like, no, we want this. Like we need to publish this. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited for it to have like a second life. And I really, I hope it, I hope it like finds the readers that it, it deserves. Because I'm actually like, very, very proud of that book. Oh, you should be. I, I'm telling you guys right now, if you're listening, when this one becomes available again, this is a a do not miss your opportunity. Collection. It's actually going to be titled something different. Though. What's it going to be called? Um, so it's going to be called The Trees Grew Because I Bled There, Collected <gasps> Stories. Oh my freaking God. I saw that on your website and I was like, I wonder what this is. I wonder what this is because it felt... I knew there was the short story in here of the same yeah. title. And I was like, is this going to be a re-release of the collection or is yeah. this going to be an expansion? I I wish I could do an expansion, but like Titan already bought the, the, the short story collection. I don't think I can add anything to it. Unfortunately, I would like, I've got so many things just on my computer waiting to get published, but it's don't tell a- me things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Marion and I can give you some info on who's taking submissions right now. Oh, oh, we got we you. We got you. We show you. We will help in any way we can. Also, my, notes, my like, email is always open. I might, I might pick you up on that. I what? Might you, what? <laughs> you do me great honor. She, when you sent her, um, we can never leave this place. She was like, Christine, I guess you just fucking sent me something. And I'm like, I, I suck at the guessing game. Like everybody right. on the planet knows that. Yeah. I will be guessing until I die and still not get it right. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And then you had posted about how you were looking for reviewers. Yeah. And I was like, ha, now's my chance. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, I love sending stuff out to reviewers like it's the best part of this honestly is like that you know 
the relationships I've built built with readers like that's Mm -hmm. really what it's that's what I love you know like I love writing but I I'm a like I am like kind of a social person too so I just I love I love connecting with with anybody that is really interested in like dark fiction you know well that's our that's our listeners for sure I don't know that. You came to the right place today. Right. <laughs> With the SpongeBob in the background, we're good. Yeah, and my Squishmallow Mountain. <laughs> we're professionals. We to we can never leave this place because I feel like there is a, this is that this is a big one and people uh, not a lot of people have read it yet. Some of us who did the pre-order, some of us who were lucky enough to be blessed with arcs are aware. Oh, and by the way, Jason Nikki, who you might know as Biblio Beard, wanted me to tell you that you're a fucking genius. <laughs> Let's talk He's about. So sweet. Uh, he is. We are family, man. We are family. Um. Christine, you want to ask him about you've lost a lot of blood because this is an interesting one too. Oh, I was like, I have another question. You do, you do. <laughs> if I'm drunk, just ignore me. That's what Drew Stepic would say. He <laughs> drunk. <laughs> so your most recent release, You've Lost a Lot of Blood, is one of the first books that we've seen from you that threads into the realm of bizarro horror. Mm. What was the inspiration for this book and the way you chose to use both? Say that word for me, Marian. Epistolary. Thank so, like, you. I, I always come up worse. Yeah, it, it was very epistolary, but yeah. Yeah. you do a little bit here. Oh, I can't talk. And standard fiction formats to take the reader through their explorations, exploration of Martyr Black's internal psyche. Mm-hmm. If you need me to repeat that, I can totally do it. I, totally oh, no, no, no. I, I am a I, whiz I, at editing nowadays. I think I can answer it. Um, so basically, You've Lost a Lot of Blood started kind of not long after Things Have Gotten Worse was, was uh, originally released. And the germ of that idea like just started kind of spinning around in my, in my mind. And uh, I wanted to write a piece kind of exploring uh, a couple who were serial killers, but I wanted to kind of focus more on their, like everything, but their killing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to focus more on the, like one of, I knew one of them was going to be really creative and really um, like kind of sophisticated and just, uh, you know, kind of a Renaissance man. Like I wanted him to be like very charming and very um, just beguiling and also uh, just very creative. Um, And I thought, how interesting would it be if we actually read something written by like a serial killer, you know? Um, and that's kind of where the germ of that idea just originated from. Um, and it kind of just developed from there. And I, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, but like, I knew I always wanted Kim Jacobson to have like the cover art for this book, because I feel like in a lot of ways, it's like, it's not a, it's obviously not a sequel to things have gotten worse, but it's, it's like a spiritual sibling in a lot of ways, like with the same sort of format and just same sort of 
themes of like disease and decay and um, obsession and um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of really how it all began for me. And um, I was chatting with my manager and, you know, we were just talking about the fact that like basically everything I had up until the end of 2021, like it's now out of print except for Fang Dandelion. Um, and I was like, I really wish like I had something that I could just, you know, give, give my readers to kind of hold them over. And then I was like, oh yeah, I do have this, this novella, you know, and I, it's not really the type of novella that I could see easily getting picked up by like a big publisher. It's, it's very like weird and just non-linear and it, it, you know, it's, I just figured that it would have like a hard time breaking through that that barrier of like you know traditional publishing mm-hmm. and I was like I should just and my manager was like you should just you know release something and and then I was like oh well I have this and that's kind of just how it came to be and I was like oh like I'll um I'll make it like a charity too like I'll donate half of it to Trans Lifeline and um that's really just how it how it came to be and um I think I think the book has been pretty well received so far I'm really pleased with a lot of the reviews that have been coming in and oh um, yeah I saw comparisons to Poppy Bright's exquisite corpse within the relationship between your two male protagonists but I found it fascinating the the parallel between martyr analyzing his narcissistic interactions with his partner while creating this story about this girl who is unsure if her own mental reality is truly reality and what what level of control does she have in the destruction that's occurring And plus the bizarro aspect of that really took me off guard. Well, you kind of hit me with that a little bit with um, we can never leave this place because up until that point, I hadn't really seen you do bizarro and we can never leave. This place was the first time where I was like, oh, we've gone into bizarro land here a little bit. And then it kind of was driven home. Now I know other people will be reading it in the opposite order, but um. I just found that to be very, very fascinating juxtaposition between what he is evaluating within his own head and how he is processing it through this character who is so much more compassionate and loving than Mm -hmm. he is, yet has these aspects of her personality that are also very narcissistic right, and very ego-driven. So really, really interesting read. Um, also I yeah, hate centipedes, so thanks. Yeah. They're literally They're like one of my book. only insect phobias. I can handle spiders, I can handle almost anything but centipedes, man. I can't do They're it. my least favorite. I know. Don't you yeah. show that trash here? <laughs> they are hate them. <laughs> and yet for me, of course, because I despise them, that just yeah. added. To the yeah. horrificness of it because I was like, you gotta be 
Are you kidding me? I know the centipedes kill Fucking me. Fucking robot too. centipedes, man! Yeah. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and they're indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> so, since we've kind of talked about, we can never leave this place a couple of times now. I I did mention you were very gracious in sending me a surprise advanced reading copy of this back in January. I read it in one sitting while on a plane (laughs) on a flight back from a business trip. And I swear to God, the people sitting next to me were like truly concerned for their own well-being. (laughs) I I think at one point I was like actively trying not to sob because Mm -hmm. this child, Mara, this 16 year old girl, I mean, we've already established I'm a mental health professional. I have worked with too many traumatized children and adolescents. And this was the first time I had seen an author address the way young adolescent brains can really lean into dissociation and use psychotic processes as a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. because they do. And it is both a form of psychological preservation and physical survival. Mm-hmm. This is the devastation of trauma in one of its realest and most impactful forms. And the use of the environmental setting of the war-torn country as the parallel to the brutality of the un- other internal generational family traumas that are going on here it it just really highlights the way Mara is being forced to survive and it drives it all home with such emotional brutality her experience is very real and yet it's very surreal mm-hmm. and uh, Christina had a great question were you imagining a specific conflict zone when you were writing because when Christina read where did it take you Christina I went directly to World War II I went to Syria you're you're right it was Syria but at the same time but at the same time I said to Christina I was like the people who pick this book up in June you know where they're gonna go Ukraine yeah it can be Afghanistan. Well, that's the thing. I didn't it can wanna, be Cambodia. Yeah. Like it can. Be, I didn't want oh, to pinpoint very, it. You know. Yeah. I, it's I very wanna, much like that. I I didn't want to um, label it and make it like a specific place. Um, mm-hmm. Just because the the horrors in that book of war, I mean, they're ever present mm-hmm. and they're universal. And I'm, you know, we're sadly seeing it in Ukraine right now um and I when I was so it's interesting this this book actually began life as a screenplay before it was a novella so I went to grad school at Emerson College in Boston and I studied screenwriting and this was like a feature-length script that I wrote while at Emerson and at the time I was like you know, very much, I was looking to uh, places like Syria and those, so those conflict zones and just, uh, you know, really trying to, ex- trying to really understand like what, what it's like, because, you know, be- being in 
like living where we do, we have the privilege of not really understanding what those conflicts are like for so many people. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I knew that I didn't want to necessarily pinpoint a specific location and I wanted to keep it as just vague as possible. And I was actually doing an interview with Dead Headspace a little while ago and Gretchen Felker Martin was on. She wrote Manhunt Mm -hmm. and she made a really good point. And it actually, it didn't really occur to me while I was writing it, but it makes sense now that I'm reflecting on it. When you're a child, you don't really have a huge grasp of like where you are in Mm -hmm. general, you know? Like you don't really understand location and like right. where you're positioned in the world. Um, so to have everything so vague and just so mm-hmm. like non-specific, Gretchen was like, it actually works in a really unique way and yep. a very valid way because this girl, I mean, she's been abused. She's been completely uh, just, you know, her just totally broken by her mother who is you know just a monster and um but also I shouldn't label her as a monster because there are there are things there she's also a wounded she's also wounded I wounded people wound people so like it very much highlights generational trauma yeah and yeah. when you come, when you throw that into that war torn conflict zone, and you're absolutely right. I think Gretchen was right on the money. When we are adolescents, like our world is our world. We don't see beyond so that. Like nothing else yeah. exists. Yeah. And you feel very much trapped. Yeah. So how do me, I survive? I mean, I just reflected on my own adolescence and how horrible being a teenager was. And you know, being a teenager, a lot of the times felt just like, I, it was, it was just horrible. Like it was just a horrible experience for me. And I can't imagine the horrors and the, just the, the horribleness that other children face in some of these countries where conflicts go on. Um, it's just, it, I try not to think about it too much because it's really upsetting, you know, Um, but yeah, I mean, Gretchen, I feel like was very correct in her assessment of just, it's better to keep things vague and the way it is presented in the book, because children don't have that understanding of the world. Yes. Christina had made a fantastic observation regarding the almost Alice in Wonderland-esque nature of Mara's experience. We know that what she's experiencing can't possibly be real. This is fantastical. This is something she's creating. And, you know, as the story progresses, we learn more and more and more. (laughs) But the way her, already we know this traumatized child is probably developmentally stunted. Yes. She is very mature for her age, but at the same time, she's very immature for her Mm -hmm. age, simply based on what has happened to her. And so she projects these characterized, like these anthropomorphic animal, fantastical animal personalities, characterizations onto the people that come into her life. Mm -hmm. And they are both fantastical and absolutely horrific. Absolutely just horrible. 
horrible. Mm -hmm. And it really, it almost gives you a new perspective on Alice in Wonder (laughs) when you think back on it, because we all know that that was kind of what he was getting at. Yeah. Like this was a traumatized kid and here is how she processed through all of that. Cause if right. you go further into the books, like there's a lot of mental health stuff there and the same with Dorothy Gale in the wizard of Oz series. So that is really, this is almost a new version, a modern version of that Alice in Wonderland wizard of Oz kind of take on adolescent trauma, totally. adverse childhood events and mental health in kids so it it, (laughs) you got her going you got her going freaking good man (laughs) we have taken up so much of your time so far let's take a little bit of a break here real quick and then we're going to come back we're going to hit you with the rapid fire four and we are going to wrap it up okay all right here we go Hey kids, looking for a way to affordably access the best and wildest independent extreme horror currently in existence? Godless Horrors is the place to be. Go to www.godless.com to gain access to thousands of extreme horror and splatterpunk books from the genre's best and brightest independent authors. Godless Horrors offers every title in their catalog in a variety of formats to ensure compatibility with your favorite digital reading device. Strapped for cash? No worries. Godless has a fantastic collection of free titles ready for instant download, with other titles in their collection rarely exceeding $3 to $4. Again, go to www.godless.com or download the app and tell them what the fuck you're looking for. Come join the Godless tribe today. Forever delightfully deviant. Forever Godless. (laughs) All right, we're back. We're back, we're back, we're back. It is time. It is time for the rapid fire for Eric LaRocca. I'm scared. I'm scared. Oh, you should <laughs> be. We're hardcore here. Oh, yeah. Four answers, zero time. Think about it. You need an answer immediately. I like to give people time to think about it. Marion's more of a. I have do it no now patience. Kind of I have she no, no patience. patience whatsoever. And if you give the wrong answer, I will be forced to turn you over to Edgar, the bug alien from Hive World. But I love you, so please do good. All right, let's go. <laughs> That'll make more sense once you hear the intro. (laughs) Right. So So first question, (laughs) which of your characters do you identify with the most and why? Uh, Probably Agnes from Things Have Gotten Worse. (laughs) Just because, yeah, probably Agnes. I want to give you a big hug. (laughs) Just because, I mean, she, you know, she just desperately wants to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I spent so much time like growing up like you know I was never included really in anything like kids my age thought I was weird and just like didn't want to be around me and I just it was yeah so I I I think I would identify most with Agnes um just in that like we're both very 
um, yeah, desperate for that like human connection. Um, but like, luckily I have a very, very supportive partner and, you know, he's amazing. And, um, he just is just so, so wonderful. So he better um, be. Yeah, no, he's great. He's your moms are coming. (laughs) (laughs) I will. This one will fly from Alaska. I will get on a moose and make my way on. (laughs) (laughs) So is there I know you're a playwright, you're a poet, you studied screenwriting, like you told us. And now you've kind of found your niche in indie horror and dark mm-hmm. fiction, but is there any other literary genre you might be interested in expanding into and giving a whirl? Well, actually, I have been working with my agent on a novel um, that isn't horror. It's just like, just literary fiction. So it's just like that's my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Literary fiction is my second <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm ready. I mean, I'm ready. There, there's like very dark elements to it, of course, but it's there's no it's there's no like supernatural threat. There's no like it's just people. You know, the story mm-hmm. is just about human beings and how we come to terms I don't want to say too much about it but it's you know it's about like death and uh art how we reconcile with our death and what comes after and uh what we leave on this planet when we when we die oh my god I'm getting (laughs) I'm gonna order new tabs You should have been here when we were recording our intro and going off on Sartre and Bukowski. And I was, I was mouthing off about how much I love Hubert Selby. And we were talking about uh, Hanya Yamagahara's A Little Life and talking about how people are like, that's not horror. That's not horror. And we're like, it's one of the most horrific books we've actually read. Yeah. And that's how I would describe (laughs) That's probably how I would describe this other book. Like it won't be, I don't, I don't know how it's going to be marketed. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, But I would like it to be marketed just as a literary novel, but I want, I also, you obviously can't control how people react to your work, but I would love for it to kind of raise those emotions in people and be like, this is horrifying what's happening, but it's not really horror, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, that to me is just really interesting. I, I love that. Yay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to start Yeah, we're getting my monies ready because <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. Love it. Great. Ooh, I'll yeah. let you know when, when the pre-orders go live. <laughs> <laughs> because I, Marion and I have both only been in the indie horror scene for like 10 months. Yeah. My background is literary fiction and plays. Oh, that's, cool. Like, that's my thing. Yeah. I own way too many plays to be a sane person. That's awesome. I'm a dork. No, that's uh, great. I mean, I grew up, like, I thought it for the longest time, I was like, I just want to be a playwright. Like, I just want to work in theater. And then I um, went to my master's for screenwriting. But, I mean, growing up, like, that's all I wanted to do was write plays. Uh-huh. I just, like, anything by Tennessee Williams, like, I just absolutely love <laughs> him, Arthur Miller, uh, Eugene O'Neill. Like, I just, yeah, can't get enough of it. You said that 
We Can Never Leave This Place was originally a screenplay and my brain just like caught on fire. I would die, die, die to see that in like this style of animation. (laughs) He's like, you get it. (laughs) You get it. (laughs) God, if only I could help make that happen because that would be... I can't even imagine. I, I couldn't yeah. imagine a better way to present it. It just, mm. uh, Christina, hit him with another one because I'm I'm going. She's going to get off on another. I'm dropping it. I'm dropping into a hole. I'm dropping it. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite story that you've written? Um, it depends. I I'm gonna say we can never leave this place just because. You know, that's the one I feel like we're promoting right now. So I feel like that's the correct answer. <laughs> but, um, you know, it changes a lot. I, I really do love the novel that I just finished with my agent. I think that that's some of my best writing I've ever done. Um, but I also do feel like We Can Never Leave This Place is a very good, like, sampler of, mm-hmm. like, an Eric LaRocca story because it has that sorrow in it it has those (laughs) very like brutal scenes of like depravity um but it's like laced with a little bit of like you know fantastical elements not that all of my pieces are fantastical most of them Mm -hmm. are like grounded in reality but when you peel back the layers at the end of the piece you realize like how grounded in reality everything was you know absolutely so I, I'm going to go for this answer. I'm going to say we can never leave this place. <laughs> I, I, it's my favorite. I think I've already established why, but I think after having read everything else that has led up to it, like you hit a peak here. Like this is the, this is, the, this is your peak at this point. I know you're probably going to go further. I would not underestimate you one second, but this is the, this is it in the moment this this is where it's at dude like it's it's gorgeous now if you could co-author with anyone living or dead who would it be probably michael mcdowell um (gasps) fascinating i love michael mcdowell his um book the elementals yeah (laughs) amulets and you know, he was openly, openly gay. And, um, he just, he, his writing is just so sumptuous and just so beautiful. I, I would definitely, you know, I, I feel like a collab between us would have been like really major. It would have been really cool, but, um, absolutely. I I would say Michael McDowell. Oh, that is so interesting. That's so, and he has such a sci-fi-ish aspect to his writing as well. So that's a really interesting, that would be an amazing combination, honestly. I would love to see you hook up with Paula at some point in time. (laughs) Y'all would destroy me. (laughs) She would be donezo. So honestly, probably so would Paula. Paula would be like, (laughs) (laughs) am I back? Am I here? You are. You are. Okay, good. My connection's been funky today. So Eric, this has been a gift. Thank you so much. Um, We've kind of talked about 
a little bit about what's coming? Do you want to give people more concrete information about where's the best place to get your stuff? How do they reach out to you if they're interested? Um, what drop dates are we looking at coming up? Yeah, so um, we can never leave this place comes out June 24th. Um, if you order now, though, if you order from the Journalstone website, you will receive it like well before the street date. Um, and you'll also get if you buy the paperback version, you'll buy you'll also get like a free digital download, which is really cool. Um, after that, things have gotten worse since we last spoke in other misfortunes is coming out September 6th. Um, and that's through Titan Books. And I'm going to be doing um I'll definitely be doing like more interviews and I'm hopefully going to be doing like a little live event in Boston for like the release, which is really, I'm really excited about that. Um, that we're kind of like working up to that right now with like the publicity department at Titan. Um, yeah. And then um, I also have a book coming out through bad hand books in I think November um, and that's like a novella called They Were Here Before Us. Um, and I'm like so excited about that one. I just saw the cover art for that, like a kind of like a rough design of it the other day. And it looks so, so cool. Um, yeah. And then after that, The Trees Grew Because I Bled There is coming out March 6th or 7th in 2023 through Titan. Um, but if folks are interested, they can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Hysteric Teeth. Um, or they can go to my website, ericlaraca.com. Yay! And I wasn't writing fast enough. When is the, um, they were here before us coming out? Um, I think either October 31st or like no, early November. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I'm taking notes as fast as I possibly can. Uh, uh, for more information, please follow Eric on Twitter or Instagram. Visit his website for better access to information regarding our show in general. You can always come join all of us in the Mothers of Mayhem official Facebook group. I think Eric even shows up there from time and he again is. when I tag him in stuff like a total <laughs> nut job. <laughs> Senpai noticed me. In the FB group, you can find links to our merch store, the ultimate fan community reading soundtrack playlists that exist on YouTube and Spotify, exclusive info, content, and giveaway opportunities, plus so much more. The finale for season one is fast approaching. Eric is one of like, God. like our second to last person. Uh, right. This should be dropping right like a week or two right before we can never leave this place hits so y'all keep Great. your eyes out you need to pre-order this thing because god damn it yeah <laughs> also the facebook group is the best place if you want to stay in close contact with your weird book moms while we're on hiatus that's honestly the place to be next season we will be taking a brief hiatus in the middle of things so that i can have this baby uh, and then we will be back. Um, but you can find the links to our various social media accounts in our show bio. And as always, send your questions, comments, or insults to our email address, momextremepodcast at gmail.com, m.o.m.extremepodcast at gmail. Do not forget to send dildos to Christina. 
DM me if you need her mailing address. Please don't do Lucas it. Mill Iron is my best partner in crime with this one. He really is. So he, he really is. is. He really but is. Fart. As always, a huge thank you to singer-songwriter Amigo the Devil. Mad props to you on your tour that is happening with Gogol Bordello right now. You're out there killing it, brah. And thank you for allowing us to use your song Hungover in Jonestown as our theme. Uh, One last question for you, Eric. How do I get a copy of the original printing of A Bright Enchanted Suffering? Because if I don't, I'm going to die. And I can't find it on eBay or nowhere. And I know it's being re-released in your upcoming hardcover uh, edition if things have gotten worse. But that's, like, not good enough for me. So that book, actually, <laughs> that book doesn't exist. Like, it Shut never up! existed. I can't handle it! No! <laughs> no! <laughs> I like, I was independently (laughs) releasing it and Uh, uh, uh. I put it up on Goodreads. And then right after that, I decided to just put it in my um, off limits press collection, like the two stories in there. Um, So so that probably never really existed. (laughs) But is it, it, but we are going to get that stuff in the hardcover. I froze, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Because I already we can still hear you. I already ordered the signed one from Barnes and Noble. Oh, nice. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, thank you, thank you for letting me know that. I will. My thank you, you so eased, much. You've eased my suffering a little bit. <laughs> Again, we love you. This <laughs> was amazing. You. This was a great day for me. I this was so cool. It. This was so awesome. Thank you. Oh, you guys are the best. Seriously, oh, thank you. Oh, no, you. Uno reverse. <laughs> That's going to be our new tagline. Eric Olaraka said we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Eric That's Laraca, our new tagline. Eric Laraca and Chandler Morrison love us. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, go raise some hell, children. Make your weird book mommies proud. We love you guys. Bye. Death is the punchline. Oh, la, 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 la.